0: I made them touch uh, three lake three great lakes at this on the same day. <laughs> I made them put their hand in three lakes on the same day, which is something you, you know you don't think about, but we did that. We did that. It was a lot of fun to do. We ate so much great food, food you could only get if you you know get on the road and get out there and eat these things in faraway places. So it was a
1: wonderful <laughs> trip.
2: Hi, everyone. I'm Stephanie.
1: And I'm Jeremy.
2: And we are the authors of Where Should We Camp Next?
1: And Where Should We Camp Next? National Parks.
2: This season, we are back with a brand new RV and brand new adventures.
1: Join us now as we cover the best campgrounds, the best rigs, the best food, and the best gear to bring with you when you go.
2: So pull up a chair and join us around the digital campfire.
1: This is the RV Atlas. Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's episode of the RV Atlas. Today, I am so excited to have back on the show, George Motes. He's the author of The Great American Burger Book, which is expanded and updated very recently into a new edition, and it is absolutely phenomenal. I love this book. It has regional burgers from all across America and international burgers that you can try to make at home or while you're camping. George is going to go through 10 of those awesome burgers on the show today and inspire you to get cooking this summer, whether it's 4th of July or beyond. Uh, We want you all making amazing burgers at the campground. George was on the show about four years ago, and we did an episode called Great Campgrounds Near Great Burger Joints, and we paired awesome burger joints with awesome campgrounds. Today, he's going to be specifically talking about this great American burger book, which I really think of as an American classic. So it has all the recipes for all these amazing burgers. So it's a cookbook, but it's a lot more. It also has uh, an introduction to each of the burgers, the history of the burgers, where you can find them, what states they're in, what places sell them. Uh, And it's really uh, like a road trip across the American landscape that will help you find amazing burgers that you can then reproduce back at home. So I love this book. I think of it as a true classic, like Jane and Michael Stern's Road Food. I want everybody to get a copy of The Great American Burger Book. And we're gonna come back in a second. We're gonna welcome George on the show. We're gonna talk about his career in general as a leading burger authority in the country. And also uh, just about the book in general and the different parts of the book. And then George picked 10 burgers that he wants to tell you about so that you can try to make them at the campground this summer. So we'll be back in a second to talk to our friend George Motes. But before we do so, we have a sponsored message from our friends at Blackstone Products. The sound of bacon or burgers and steaks sizzling is the sound that you crave this summer. Blackstone is the original flat-top griddle with more than 9 million griddles sold. Blackstone is the way that America cooks in the great outdoors. You can cook everything you can on a traditional grill and a thousand things you can't. Want an incredible breakfast? How about lunch or dinner? The solid steel flat-top infuses the flavors. Pick the size and style that's right for your next camping trip. The 17-inch and 22-inch griddles are easy to store in your RV and still have the space to feed the hungriest army. There's even a portable Blackstone with an air fryer built in. Talk about variety. With Blackstone, you can cook anything, anytime, anywhere. They even make a portable pizza oven that you can bring camping. For outdoor cooking fun and flavor that you can't find anywhere else, go wherever griddles are sold or head on over to blackstoneproducts.com. And remember, if it's not a Blackstone, it's not a griddle. Welcome back to the show, George Motes. How are you? It's been a few years. It's so great to see you.
0: Good to see you. We look like we're twinning now, can- here.
1: We do look like we're twinning a little bit. I think you're pulling off the look a little bit better. And you've got an RV in your background and you've got an RV on your shirt. Yes. Um, So so you're ready to be on the RV Atlas today. Congratulations on the newly expanded and updated Great American Burger Book, How to Make Authentic Regional Hamburgers at Home. This is an absolutely beautiful book. So congratulations on this re-release.
0: Well, thank you. Thanks very much. It's, it was a labor of love. It always has been labor of love. And I tell people all the time that uh, making a cookbook is not for the faint of heart. That's for sure. Because it is probably the most difficult thing I've ever done in my life um, is uh, to make a cookbook.
1: Well, and this is not just a cookbook too, right? Like it's, it, it is full on a cookbook. I mean, the recipes are in here for all these amazing burgers. Uh, but there's a, there's a lot more in here. Um, so tell us what you know. We're going to get into ten specific burgers that we want to inspire people to make while they're camping this summer. But also, just could you give us a snapshot of of what's in this book? Which I'm going to make a claim right now: uh, an American classic, and I think this is going to be re released, you know, over and over again um, in the coming years. So so give us give us the broad picture though of everything that's in it.
0: Well, so th- we updated the book, which basically meant that we took the original recipes and didn't touch them because because they're classic recipes, and to me, there's no reason to mess with it because they're all not, as far as I'm concerned they're perfect. <laughs> we did the best we could. I'm very good at like making sure that we're making good burgers and making good burger recipes. That is, but in the updated version of the book, we um, we added a, we basically added 27 recipes, and that includes sauces and things that go the the accompanying recipes that go along with these burgers. But we also added a section of the book uh, that's called International Favorites. And I put five burgers that I love from around the world that are specifically historically significant burgers that have left the U.S. and gone out into the world. And this is their translation in, in five different countries around the world. It, took a hard, it was a, a hard-fought battle to, to convince my editor, uh, that, uh, the publisher, that we uh, needed to make this happen. Because they said it's an American hamburger book. I say, I know, but there's something to be said for the international uh, response to the American hamburger. And these burgers are all very historically significant that go back, in some cases, 50, 60, 70 years.
1: And we're going to get, we're going to talk about one of these in in the 10 burgers that you select. And you've selected 10 that people can, can make on a flat top while they're camping. So everyone stay tuned for that. So you added the international section. There's also a, a robust introductory section, and I really liked that part of the book. Just, you know, for, if somebody's just getting started, um, some tips there. So what else is in the introduction that might help somebody get started and become really good at making these burgers?
0: I've read a lot of cookbooks that just jump right into recipes, and I've always thought to myself, this doesn't make any sense. I think you have to have some kind of context. Um, you know, in the old days, it was The Joy of Cooking. Enjoy cooking has a lot of context, but it's more of like technical context and charts on how to, you know, how to how to you know convert convert me- uh, measurements and that sort of thing. But I noticed that cookbooks today, um, the best cookbooks I think for me, the ones that I like to use, the ones that create context in in the way that puts you there, that puts you in the right head headspace to make the to, you know not just make that food, but to also be in like the historically you know accurate moment. And to know what it's like to make these burgers. So I have a section in the book called uh, Tools of the Trade, which is, you know, people think, oh, what do I need? I need a pan and a, ha- and a spatula to make hamburgers. But there's also a few other things you can do uh, that are inexpensive in the kitchen uh, to up your game. So I have a Tools of the Trade. I also have a um, a section of the book on how to, how to speak to your butcher, which sounds like, you know, what do you mean? Just I tell him what I want and I get it. Like, no, 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 no. There's the sort of a nuance to speaking to a butcher that people don't really realize. Uh, and which can be very successful no matter where you are in in the country. Uh, And also, there's another section called Hamburger Architecture, which I think people don't think about. And we were talking about sections to put in this book, and I realized that no one really talks about how a burger is built and how important the integrity of a hamburger is. Uh, And so I have a section on basically literally called uh, Hamburger Architecture.
1: And what I I want to communicate to our audience here is that George, you you, you kind of like to keep it simple in a way that really translates well to camping in, in terms of like keeping ingredients simple that, that you give that list of the tools of the trade. It's not that extensive, though. I mean, somebody could keep all that stuff in their in their camp kitchen. But then also in general, you know, when you get into these burgers, I loved in the beginning, there was this uh, analogy like a great burger should be like a haiku and it have should have some sort of self-imposed. Limitations. So when you look at all these burger names, you could kind of go, "Oh, this is a little intimidating," but it's really not. Like the whole approach you take and all of these burgers are really not that intimidating to try and make at home. I don't think.
0: They, you're right. They, um, they can't. Some of them can be. I mean, the, the nice thing about the book is that I would say most of the burgers in the book are pretty straightforward and easy to anybody can make them. I, we had a show called uh, we created called Burger Scholar Sessions, which is you know it still exists on YouTube. Uh, we did five seasons of it during the pandemic. And each one of the recipes that I present in Burger Scholar sessions, I show you how to make it within a matter of five or six minutes. So it can't be that difficult. Some of them are very difficult. Some of them are, I'm not going to lie. We spent a lot of time thinking about these and some of them involve special apparatus to make it work. But for the most part, I'd say most of the recipes in the book are very straightforward and only involve a few ingredients and simple, simple methods.
1: And in in general, you are a flat top guy. It seems to me a, a skillet or flat top of some kind. You know, um, you know, a lot of our listeners have Blackstones or Camp Chefs or Lodge skillets. That seems to be the go to. And then you also seem like then maybe secondary is like you're a charcoal guy. Gas grill does not seem to be super interesting to you. Is is all of that correct?
0: That's all correct. Yeah, but though, but it's important to note that the book. Uh, is not just about hamburgers and toppings. I think I feel like most hamburger books are about here's a burger, you put this on top and it becomes a Tex-Mex burger, it becomes, a, you know, a Southwestern burger. You know, that's not really accurate. I mean, it's accurate. I'm sure those recipes are fantastic, but it's not accurate to history, to real hamburger history. When you're talking about regional regional American hamburger. Um, so to that end, the book is uh, you know mostly about uh, burger history and method. So I always like to say that method plays a very important role in this book because some of the some of the burgers are poached, deep fried, steamed, um, smoked. I mean, there's a lot of different ways you can make a burger, and I cover pretty much I think all of them.
1: <laughs> but there's little things that you drop in that that have changed the way I make burgers. And and you know there there's, you know, hundreds and hundreds of different different tips and approach and the architecture and all of that stuff, but even just the, the way you recommend to do the hamburger buns, it, like simple but perfect, right? How should every, this 4th of July, when everybody's camping, tell everybody what to do with their hamburger buns, please.
0: Well, there's, there's a bunch of different things you can do with your hamburger buns, but one of the most important is to toast them in a pan with some butter. You know, you can put them, it's, it's fine if you want to take a, an open-faced uh, bun and put it on a, on a hot coal, hot coal, you know, grill and toast them. That's very dangerous. You have to be careful because you could, I mean, it only takes a matter of seconds to ruin a bun over a flame. You have to know where the heat is. But the best way to do it is to prep them ahead of time, um, just ahead of time, put some butter in a pan and cook them in a flat top so they get nice and toasty. You need to create that barrier uh, so that when you, when you make the, your burgers, the juices don't disappear in, in, into the bottom of the bun and basically destroy it.
1: That, that is so simple, but it changed my burger game. Now, now, George, The Great American Burger Book, I really look at this as, uh, as a classic, you know, as a book that everybody should have that's into making burgers. Uh, and we're going to get into these 10 awesome burgers. But I just have to you know, backtrack a little bit here. Um, how did you get into this, this burger game and, be, and become sort of the authority on, on burgers in America? I mean, what, what a journey. Where did you start with this? And, and then we'll move into the burgers after that.
0: That's a great question. <laughs> because it was not supposed to be my life calling. It was not supposed to be my focus or even my, my income and job, but it has become that pretty much almost 100% at this point. I am now officially fully employed, self-employed as a hamburger expert, and I'm okay with that. Um, I'm also opening a restaurant, so that's the next, next source of hamburger income. It's, it's, it has taken over my, my life, but it all started because I made a documentary, documentary film called Hamburger America, uh, 20 years ago, uh, it, was a, it was a profile of eight different uh, hamburger restaurants in America and how they made their burgers and what made them special at a time when nobody was making any food programming and nobody at all was focusing on the American hamburger. So to me, it was timely. Uh, and at the same time, when I made the film, I started going to, to, um, to uh, uh, food, uh, festivals to screen the film and they would say, oh, it's another Super Size Me. Super Size Me had come out that that year. And I realized, no, 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 it's, it's, a, no it's, a, it's, a, it's a positive view of the American hamburger, not a negative view. And so people had a hard time getting their head around that. But I did pick up a cult following that definitely supported uh, the notion that the hamburger was something to uh, pay attention to. That turned into, that helped uh, fuel the book, the second book, uh, a cookbook, um, and then a t- one TV show, a second TV show, and now a fourth book, a fifth book. We're working on the sixth book now. And another TV show and then now the restaurants, so which is crazy. This is where we are 20 years later. I can't believe this has all happened. But, you know, even my dad will say, like, I can't believe this. This thing's got
1: legs. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, I mean, like your, your timing's been good in a sense, but you've also helped create this whole movement and interest in the art and science of burgers and, and the history of burgers. I mean, and now there seems to be an, a new guard coming through in terms of new places opening up that are making awesome burgers. Tell everybody where your restaurant is, and then we'll take a commercial break and come back and start hitting everybody with the, with the burgers.
0: Restaurant is being built right now. We're in week five of construction, and it's going to be in Soho, Manhattan. We're opening up on the corner of McDougal and Houston. Can't wait. It's going to be a a beautiful restaurant. It's it's going to be a diner.
1: (laughs) Awesome. I can't wait. I'm from New Jersey. I can't wait to visit. We're going to come back in a second and we're going to get into these 10 amazing burgers that I would love for our listeners to attempt to make this summer at the campground. Uh, But before we do that, we have a sponsored message from our friends at Camco Outdoors. Camco is one of our favorite companies in the outdoor recreation industry. For more than 50 years, they have remained a trusted North Carolina-based manufacturer specializing in innovative products for the RV, marine, outdoor living, and outdoor recreation markets. You may know them best by their American-made rhino sewer hoses, taste-pure water filters, EvoFlex drinking water hoses, and TST toilet chemicals, but their lineup of products doesn't end there. Camco continues to deliver products that bridge the gap between you and your next great adventure. From portable grills and campfires to ease lift hitches and power grip electrical adapters, they seem to be doing it all. There's a saying that if you own an RV, you are sure to own a Camco product or two. And it's true. We still use Camco products that we bought 12 years ago when we started RVing. This year, we are stocking up our new RV with go-to Camco products like their collapsible laundry basket and their life is better at the campsite dishes and mugs. Head to CamcoOutdoors.com to check out all of the cool stuff that Camco makes and get 10% off your entire order with our discount code RVATLAS10. Welcome back to the show, everybody. We are now going to talk about 10 amazing burgers from different regions across the country. We're here with George Motes. He's the author of The Great American Burger Book. It's a beautiful book. If you've ever had a hamburger in your life, you need to buy this book. It'll up your game as a, as a cook and it'll give you some history and all of these great burgers from across the country. So George, let's get started with the loose meat sandwich from Iowa. Just Tell us about this burger and how we can try to make it.
0: It's funny you chose that one first. It's actually not technically a burger. I mean, to me, I, I like to define a burger as you know, chopped meat, pattied, cooked somehow and served on bread. This is not that at all. Um, this, what I like about it, this has the flavor profile when you bite into it of a, of a hamburger. Um, in fact, it has the flavor profile of a very specific um, you know, traditional primary source hamburger, which is uh, beef, no cheese, um, mustard, pickle, onions and that's it on the bun. Uh, and so that right there that I mean that goes back to the dawn of the hamburger when the, the really the, the the first three ingredients together were were mustard, mustard pickle and onion. Um on with no cheese. This, this actually predates cheese. So the beauty of this sandwich by the way is you can make it at home. You can make it, it you make it in a pot. It's so easy. You don't have to actually you don't, you don't need a flat top. You don't need a pan to cook this thing in. You basically need like a stock pot and you crumble beef and you cook this you basically steam the beef with a little bit of a little bit of uh salt. You drain off the fat. And then you end up, you put this onto a bun and serve it with mustard pickle, ketchup, sorry, mustard, pickle, onion, not ketchup. Do not use ketchup Um, unless you want to, of course, that may ruin it. Uh, But so, but it's very simple. It's also, you can make it for a group. I just did an, we did an event in New York city where we had to feed 70 people in a matter of minutes. And it's, you just take a scoop, scoop of beef on the bun. It's already been what we call doped with mustard, pickle, onion, and send that out to the crowd one at a time. I mean, it is so fast.
1: Is this a bit of an outlier in, in, in the book in terms of the, the construction of it, as opposed to, you know, like most of the rest of them are a bit more traditional in, in making them?
0: Yeah. I mean, to me, it's just another another piece of the, um, of the hamburger fabric and puzzle in America, where it, it, people do consider it to be in the hamburger family, for sure, even out, out in Iowa. Um, people, it's beloved in Iowa. In fact, people maybe know it in Iowa as the made right, because the made right corporation um, what they did was they, they popularized it for sure. Um, and they have their own spice pack that they put in their uh, in their beef, which is, I think not just salt, so the traditional way to make it is with just salt, uh, but the made you can, you can find a made right. Just about anywhere in, in Iowa or the surrounding States. Um, and it is actually a pretty tasty experience, but it's a franchise.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, we're working our way through the Midwest here, which seems like a burger stronghold for goodness sake. There's no question um, about it. Get, Is it your favorite region? I was going to ask you later, but I'll just ask you now. Is it your favorite region?
0: Yes. And I'll tell you why. Uh, Because I like to say that there is something I call the Burger Belt, which runs from Texas all the way north to Wisconsin. And um, that is really where you're going to find not just great burgers. You're going to find primary source burgers that haven't changed. That's unaffected by time and trend. I've said before many times. And there's a reason for that. Because people they wouldn't know what to do. I think if they, if they, someone changed their, their burger experience on them and there's so many different types of burgers and so many different great real original burger spots that some cases go back a hundred years.
1: Ike, so give us the olive burger from Michigan, please.
0: The olive burger. It was invented. We think in the, I I forgot the dates now, the fifties, I think it what did we say? The fifties, forties <laughs> um, maybe, maybe it was the, as early as the 40s no one really the history is a bit nebulous the olive burger but it's today you're only really going to find it in central southern and western michigan you won't find it in the people in detroit don't know what an olive burger is for example it's on the east side of the state (laughs) Uh, but you get up to lansing where it's really that's the epicenter is right around lansing um it's a simple simple burger all you have to do is take cocktail olives hey if if you're already having you know gin and tonics in the rv take some of those cocktail olives chop them up with with tomatoes in, fine, whatever. That's also good. Mix it with some mayonnaise, a little bit of the olive brine, and put it on a burger, and you will not believe what's going to happen next. And again, that's it. You make a burger, and you put this olive mayo mixture on top. Blow your mind.
1: And we're talking a skillet, the flat top, for here for making that burger. Yeah.
0: Any burger. I mean, this right. is if you if you're going to make a burger on a grill, you make a sauce separate and you put it on top of the burger and eat it. I've I've, I've done. I've made this burger for outdoor. You know charcoal grill parties. I've done it inside on my on my flat top inside.
1: All right, so let's move to Illinois, the horseshoe. Tell yes. us more.
0: The horseshoe burger. It's actually not. A, it's it's a. This is the plate burger, which is, you know, a lot of my burgers. I think that you know, uh, I believe that the burger really should be picked up. It should be a portable food. But there are a few burgers out there. Um, that I can't deny are fantastic and they do need to be eaten with a knife and a fork. The horseshoe is one of them. And the horseshoe sandwich, I think it's called actually technically, um, is an open face sandwich that was invented in Illinois. And it's a very simple burger. This is nothing more than toast, <laughs> buttered toast on top of that are burgers. Uh, and then on top of that are, it's French fries. They're French fries. And it was called the horseshoe back in the day because it was originally made with a horseshoe shaped piece of ham and the fries on top were basically called the the horseshoe nails. Those are the nails on top of the on top. But on top of that, more importantly, is a very basic uh, cheese sauce, almost like a um, uh, it's a basic cheddar cheese sauce, kind of like a, a rare rarebit, like a like a British rarebit sauce. And it's so now easy everyone,
1: to make. everyone listening is going to buy the book, but you know if you want to attempt these the book has sort of a breakdown of the burger, a a bit of the history, and then you you sort of like turn the page and then there's the recipe, correct? For all of these. So so if you want to learn more and actually make it, the recipes are there just like a traditional cookbook, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, I want to make sure people uh, had some context. I I wanted to make sure people were looking at these recipes and realizing that there's a reason why this crazy thing exists called the horseshoe and People do eat it in, in Illinois. And I estimated more than a few times <laughs> myself. It's a great experience.
1: I, I love the setup and the history for each of the burgers. And, and it feels like you're short, sort of in, enshrining these burgers, right? And there's even a, a few examples of places that have closed. And instead of leaving them out of the book, I believe you, you sort of wanted to pay tribute to them, right?
0: Absolutely. I mean, the, the, the once a place people forget that once a place goes out of business... It's gone. Um, It's the history is also lost with that closure. Uh, And it's very sad. I mean, I have a hard time talking about it sometimes because there are so many places unfortunately that have closed even recently places that have closed where we have to hurry up and capture the history and make sure there's the photos are saved and make sure that the recipes are understood so that we can continue on and make these things. I mean, a few places have opened up again, which I, I find fascinating. And basically because there was a little bit of support behind it. My people are, people who believe in the hamburger, the hamburger history, and also because someone saved the recipes. <laughs> I can't even tell you how many places actually have recipes that are in someone's head. They're in someone's head, you know? And so you have to, you have to either make, which I love these restaurant recipes in the book. I, I, have you know, deduced might be the close approximate, uh, approximate, you know, uh, way to make these, these burgers. Uh, but like a perfect example, the horseshoe, um, that is the actual Joe chef, Joe Schweska. Cheese sauce. That's the actual recipe that I think his granddaughter figured out and and sent me. We, we figured it out.
1: Now, when some of these places close, and I'm particularly like I'm thinking about the Midwest, I I wouldn't imagine that then some new place opens, some next generation pl- uh, place opens. Like maybe that, that happens in New York or LA or or places that can support that kind of food culture. But in some parts of the country, when these places close that's it, right? I mean, it's like everything's becoming more, you know, like chain burgers in, in certain parts of the country. Or is that not true? Is there sort of a, also a burger renaissance with new places everywhere?
0: There are new places, uh, which is great. But at th- the same time, um, there are places that are closing that will not ever come back, unfortunately. Um, but this is why it's important to appreciate hamburger history, because these places do need to exist. And I tell people when they walk into a hamburger restaurant to not just walk in and eat the burger, but Appreciate the burger. Appreciate the person who's making the burger, uh, and go up to them and say, "Hey, I learned about this from George's book, or oh, someone told me on the, on an RV podcast that I should go check out this burger," because that gives them the the sense that there's something special that they're not just another like food provider. That they know they know that they're special to begin with, but but they really know how important it is that they stick around. That's the most important. Absolutely.
1: All right. Let's talk about. Is it the the gum cheeseburger from Indiana. Did I, I, my notes are sloppy here. What is that one?
0: Okay. The gum cheeseburger. It's actually spelled without, without, without uh, vowels. Burger. (laughs) Um, This is actually a sloppy Joe. Um, There's a a great story there. You have to read. I can't tell the whole thing right now, but it comes from a place in, uh, in Columbus, Indiana. The The place where it exists is a story unto itself. It's just truly incredible. The place, the whole, they should lift the whole place up and put it in the Smithsonian as far as I'm concerned, but I need, it needs to be, it needs to stay <laughs> in Columbus, Indiana. But honestly, if it was, if it was, if the world was coming to an end, put that thing in the Smithsonian, please. You know, um, it's an amazing place, but the gum cheeseburger is basically, it's a, it's a sloppy Joe. It's a, it's a sloppy Joe. And it, it is the people do believe that the, the lineage of the sloppy Joe may have come from this place going back to the turn of the century.
1: And in terms of like preparation, I mean, you prepare it like a sloppy Joe, any, any toppings for it or anything like that?
0: There, no, it's not, there's not toppings on this burger at all. It's actually all mixed in together. So you, if you put cheese in the gum cheeseburger, but at the very end, you throw the American cheese in, quickly mix it up and then put it on, on bread, on toast. Uh, now it's for an this amazing one in- hamburger experience.
1: Now, is this are you getting this at a couple specific places in Indiana or is this widespread in Indiana? Is there a famous place that makes it?
0: Yeah. So there's a place called Zaharikos in Columbus, Indiana that makes that makes that has kept this tradition alive. I'm sure people also make it elsewhere, but as somebody pointed out to me when we were doing the research for this burger, that the word gum is um, I believe a Dutch word for sticky. Not a Dutch, a Danish dan Dutch word for sticky, I think. Um it's a slang also for sticky. Uh and it makes sense because there were sandwiches um there was the sloppy joe which we believe originated in Indiana um was basically a sticky burger.
1: <laughs> I want one right now. All right. So that's that covers the well it doesn't cover the entire Midwest. There's a lot more from the Midwest in the book and the book is divided into regions, which is really cool, because, of course, what everyone does is they go to their region. And I'll confess, I did that, right? I went I wanted to see what you picked for like New Jersey, New York, et cetera, et cetera. But let's uh, talk about some great burgers from the American West. So how about the the Nut Burger in Montana? And I must confess, you know, I don't think of like Montana as a, a, a great place for burgers necessarily, but tell us about the Nut Burger.
0: Right. So unfortunately, the place, as a you know, sad story, the place that created the Nut Burger closed this year or actually closed but two, closed during the pandemic. Um but I, it's, it's unfortunately no longer it's the building is still there because the building technically where it was where it was a place called uh it's called Matt's Place in Butte Montana and Matt's Place is on the historic register of uh, the re- register of historic places in America. So they can't tear it down but the business is gone and it's still standing there. If somebody wants to by the way if somebody wants to buy a business and open a hamburger joint. That's the place. It's an old old school drive-in where you drove up and you know into the building and tooted your horn and someone came out and took your order. Um, but it's, it literally looks like a it looks like someone's home. Um, but the nut burger is very straightforward. It is literally nothing more than a burger. You make a burger any way you want, and then you make the they make the sauce, which is a um, this is a um, it's a combination of salted uh, Sunday nuts like peanuts, crushed nuts mixed with Miracle Whip. Now, I know you're thinking it sounds totally insane and disgusting, but it's amazing because the salty nuts and the sweet Miracle Whip create the most perfect profile sauce you've ever had. It's really amazing.
1: As you're talking, I'm thinking there are so many amazing road trips that you've taken to get to these places and so many people that you've met and so many stories, and it's all intertwined in these in these burgers right i mean this this book is sort of a love song to the american road trip too right i mean you think at some point in the book you even recommend you know head out on a on a road trip that's like burger themed and and go find some of these places
0: yeah i i I, yeah i believe that i may be you know akin to charles Caralt in a way a younger version of charles (laughs) getting out there in an (laughs) rv and doing this stuff
1: well, and he had a, didn't he have like a second family in Montana? You heard yeah, just talking he, about a burger from Montana.
0: Not, not, I'm not not that side of my life. I,
1: but the road tripper.
0: Me. Road tripping. Yeah, not not second family.
1: <laughs> All right. We will be back in a second with five more burgers uh, from the amazing George Motes from the newly expanded Great American Burger Book. But before we do so, we have a sponsored message from our friends at Yogi Bear's Jellystone Park Camp Resorts. Our family has been staying at Jellystone Park locations for 12 years. There are more than 75 Jellystone Park locations across the United States and Canada, and each one is unique, but our kids love them all because each Jellystone Park location has fun attractions like pools, water slides, splash grounds, mini golf, laser tag, and jumping pillows. Plus, there are tons of activities all day and all night long, such as foam parties, dance parties, wagon rides tie-dye and movie nights they even have themed weekends like chocolate lovers weekend christmas in july and halloween weekends in the fall of course, we can't forget the fun of hanging out with Yogi Bear, Boo Boo, and Cindy Bear. And at Jellystone Park, you can stay in your RV or enjoy one of their awesome glamping accommodations, as many of their locations offer luxury cabins, yurts, covered wagons, and more. Make Jellystone Park a part of your family's vacation in 2023, because it's not just a campground. It's a Jellystone Park. To learn more and to book your vacation today, visit Jellystone JellystonePark.com com. That's JellystonePark.com. And please don't forget to tell Yogi Bear that Jeremy and Stephanie said hello. Welcome back to the show, everybody. We've got five more uh, classic regional burgers here with George Motz. He's the author of The Great American Burger Book. George, we're still in the American West, and I'm really excited to hear about this one because I'm going to Utah this summer, and I'm hoping to try the pastrami burger. So give me the details. Yes.
0: Yes. Utah is very fortunate to have the pastrami burger, and it only happened because of one guy who traveled, I think in the eighties or seventies or eighties from LA, where it was very, very popular, popular in the in the 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s in Los Angeles. He traveled to Utah and was speaking to a relative of his. They were Greek. And they he said, What are you doing? He said, oh, I'm we're gonna open up nightclubs. No, we should we should make a pastrami burger. <laughs> <I> said, what? <laughs>
1: and that's quite a leap.
0: I'm not joking. You it's Salt Lake city is a hotbed of pastrami burger um, activity. It's truly incredible. You can go anywhere. I think in in, in any corner of the city and find a, a good pastrami burger. One of my favorites is a place called crown burger, uh, which is there are a bunch of locations in the city and they're very proud of their heritage, but you go to LA and there are way, way fewer pastrami burgers in the place where it came from than uh, than in, in Salt Lake city.
1: Is it as simple as it sounds, <laughs> a pastrami it on a simple, burger? Or like, no, what's making, the making, what's the what's the construction or the architecture?
0: So you basically have to steam. You steam um, uh, pastrami. You basically render some of the fats out of it and steam it. You can you can you can put it into a literally a steaming basket and steam it, and then put it on put it on a burger with some with a really good so. There's a really good sauce here. It's a great method uh, for a sauce here, which is um, something called Utah Fry Sauce, and the recipe's in the book. It's very straightforward. It's kind of like a, like a, like a thousand island dressing. Um, it's got a little bit of a kick to it, a little bit better than just a straightforward thousand island dressing. Uh, and of course, you know, at Crown Burger, they make one of the best fry sauces. They won't tell me what's in it, but I kind of guess what's in it. Um, some people hinted at what might be in it. So it's a pretty, ac- pretty uh, fairly accurate representation of a Utah fry sauce, but you have that Utah fry sauce and you have a steamed, you know, soft hot pastrami on a burger, it's a phenomenal experience. Beef on beef.
1: Uh, I'm doing it this summer in Utah. I cannot cannot wait. Now, there's burgers from every region in the book. We're just talking about about 10 of them. There's so many more in the book. Uh, Let's go down south, which is an area which I really associate uh, with amazing road food in general. Um, Talk about the Slug Burger in Mississippi.
0: Slug Burger. Talk about method. This is a this is a very important method in American uh, gastronomy, in the fabric of America. You know, there were people in hard times, twenties, thirties, specifically during the Depression, they had to find a way to extend uh, the food they had. Uh, so one great method was to take yesterday's stale bread, turn it into breadcrumbs, and throw it into the hamburger mix. You could literally almost double your uh, hamburger mix, your hamburger, you know, whatever hamburger for the day by adding breading. In fact. There's some places you go in America where I think there's almost more breading than beef in a way in some of these burgers and they're, they're called breaded burgers. In fact, if, you look, there's some, if, you're, if, you're, if you're looking at uh, some of the menus in the South specifically and you see something on the menu called a meat burger, <laughs> that means that there's no breading in it. Um, for the most part, the burgers have lots of breading in it. It's the old school way to do it. So The Slug Burger, specifically from northern Mississippi, is just that it's yesterday's bread turned into breadcrumbs and thrown into the into the burger. And you can do this; it's so simple to do. Uh, and what happens is you have this strange science experiment that goes on in your pan or your flat top, your griddle. Because what happens is those breadcrumbs start to the, mat, the the meat starts to render, and the rendered beef fat goes into the breadcrumbs and crisps up the breadcrumbs. Whoa! It's incredible. It's an amazing experience, and it's so simple to do. So easy.
1: Now, is the South maybe not as premier for burgers because of the the barbecue and all the other meats and all the slow cooking and and all of those things? Or are there, you know, tons and tons of amazing burgers in the South, too? Or is the burger a little bit like second class in the South?
0: I think it's definitely I think for years it's been second class everywhere. (laughs) So, you know, um, but it was definitely not seen as anything special. Uh, There's no question about it that, you know, Barbara talked to a barbecue guy and he, he said, oh, yeah, you know. What I make, I make a pulled pork sandwich. It takes me, you know, twelve hours. It takes you three minutes to make a hamburger. <laughs> so, for sure, you are absolutely right that you know the, the uh, barbecue in the South is is taking more seriously and is revered more than just this simple lowly hamburger. A hamburger is the kind of thing you eat in the South when you're waiting for the barbecue to be done. <laughs>
1: But that's a huge part of the appeal, though, right, is that it, not everybody, you know, can like slow cook meats for 24 hours, but everybody can make a burger when they're hungry. So exactly.
0: But, but to, to your point, though, there's no question about it, that, that. I think that the hamburger has been somewhat sidelined in the, in the history, uh, his, history of American food in the South, for sure.
1: All right, let's head back up to our home turf to some degree or another. Let's talk about the Chester from New York.
0: Chester. So the Chester is actually, this is funny. This is my hometown burger. This is the burger I grew up. I grew up eating. You can't get it because unfortunately it's at a private club um, that I, I grew up, you know, I wasn't a member of the club, but I had friends who went there and I could get the burger that way. But, um, you know, the, the story in the book is that this is a true story that I was, a, I was a lifeguard on the beach. I was, I love being, one of my the best jobs I ever had was being an ocean lifeguard. And what I would do is I would, you know, when I was 16, 17 years old, as I would run down to the neighboring beach club and get two Chesters, eat them and then walk back to work. <laughs> It's a very straightforward burger. It actually comes from the idea, I believe came from Friendly's. If you know what Friendly's is in the north, the mm-hmm. northeast, uh, on the Friendly's menu, it's still there. It's called the setup. And this and I don't know why it's called the setup, but it's called the setup and it is literally nothing more than a hamburger patty inside of a grilled cheese. And a grilled cheese specifically made with American cheese and white bread. That's that's a that's a setup. Well, you add onions to it to make it a setup, but the version that we find on the East End you know that, that I grew up eating at this one private club. It was invented by a friend of mine named Chester. <laughs> so he took the thing and just didn't add onions, and it became known as the Chester. And so in what terms I did, of Brit-
1: though, go ahead. I was going to say,
0: I, I did. I took it a step further, and I took the Chester, uh, and I combined it with another burger for, that I love from uh, from from Wisconsin, from up north of north of uh, Green Bay, Wisconsin. It's, it's called Joe, Joe Rower's bar and Joe Rower's makes a burger called they just make a burger but they actually kind of poach the burger in in beef broth with onions so i took that patty that Joe Rower you know poached beef broth broth burger with onions and put that in between two pieces of bread with um american cheese and i invented something i think that i like to call the, Ch- the chester rower
1: <laughs> any specific recommendations for the bread there or just like whatever you got like white bread or, or are you using something more robust and specific
0: it's white bread um uh, but it's uh, it's not like a like a you know a cheap wonder bread wonder but wonder you know has to be have a has to have a little bit of um a little bit of a sturdiness to it otherwise it, it will it'll just fall apart in the pan i recommend like you know take one step above like classic white bread they're out there. I mean, we in the East Coast we have something called Arnold. Um, We have uh, Pepperidge Farm, it's like sandwich bread. Th- those are usually the better ones. Sometimes they're called like country white. Like a country white, it's probably a much better choice for um for bread for for the Chester.
1: That's by like the way. I great- point out,
0: it's very important to point out that this. It seems like it should be a patty melt, but there's a recipe for the patty melt in the book also, which is very very specific. This is something that uh, was invented in, in Los Angeles and. To be a patty melt you have to be served on rye, has to be toasted like a grilled cheese, but it's it's Swiss cheese and onions. That's a patty. These milk.
1: sound these these would translate very well to the campground. Like I can see my kids like really really loving these. So this might be the first one I try this summer. Um, now I'm so glad you you did the international section and that you that you you know won that battle with the editor who or whoever it was. So is it called the islak from Turkey?
0: Yeah, the islak Islak from Turkey uh, is specifically from Taksim Square in Istanbul. Uh, And I have not had this burger personally, but I've had friends who've come back from Istanbul and said to me, (laughs) Moats, you got to make this burger. It's unbelievable. So we made it on the show. We made it on Burger Scholar Sessions. We sort of unlocked the Islak just from from reports of, uh, I had friends who went over there and took pictures. And I looked at the photos and tried to figure out how they actually made this thing. I looked online and I found a couple of recipes that were just not, not there, not accurate at all. Uh, I spoke to some friends who are Turkish, and they gave you the rundown of what they think might be in it. So this recipe, we believe, is more accurate than anything you'll find on, on the internet, for sure, when it comes to the Islak. And, but, and just, you have to think of it as, uh, so Islak, by the way, in Turkish means wet. It's, it's the word for wet. And this is definitely a wet burger. Imagine a burger that is sold uh, from street carts where they can't make burgers and, and fresh burgers and serve you all the time. They, you know, some of these street vendors in, in Taksim square in, in Istanbul will make them ahead of time and stack them up in a case, steaming in a case just to, to stay warm. And they would hand you one at a time, tiny little burgers. Um, and so to, to make it flavorful, they would use a, uh, almost like a over garliced tomato sauce. So the patties cooked and basically marinated, not marinated, but it's, um, it's, it cooks by, separately, but then you basically let it sit and, and marinate in a uh, this tomato sauce and you serve it on small rolls, little slider rolls, um, and you put more sauce on top of that and you have this very incredible wet, it's almost like a, like a, like a meatball hero without the cheese. It's amazing.
1: Are the, are the international burgers highlighted in the book a bit more adventurous, maybe a bit harder for the average person to make, or is that not really the case?
0: I would say for the most part, all the international burgers are be very difficult to make in an RV, with the exception of the Islak. Islak is pretty straightforward. In fact, I've actually made the Islak on the beach for some friends, and so I know that it can be done. You, just, you have to make the sauce ahead of time, and you have this, this pot of – you know, it's almost like a pot of meatballs, but instead of having meatballs in the, in the pot, you have, you have little hamburger patties that just go into a bun and get served.
1: So this is a universal language. You must have, you know, connections all over the world at this point. Uh, it, it just kind of creates this universal language among people from different cultures. Yeah. Kind of amazing that, that the burger's taking you to all of these places.
0: It's truly amazing. I mean, I, I can't complain because I have, I've been asked to, to consult all over the world right now. It's unbelievable how many places I've consulted um, on the planet and people who want, it, want me to consult, but I'm actually stopping consulting right now because we're opening our own restaurant. But I've also, I have done, I've taught hamburger courses on how to, how to, you know, how to appreciate the American hamburger in Argentina, Brazil, uh, Japan, uh, Paris, London, just goes on and on and on. And it is, I can't complain. It's been so much fun. And we're about to make a TV show. We're talking, we're actually, now we're working on a new show that is going to be about that. Just exactly that, me traveling the world and, and really promoting the culture of hamburger correctly.
1: You're a humble guy, but you're almost like acting like this goodwill ambassador from the United States. It, you know, we've been living through fraught times. Um, I think it's really, really cool that you're out there, not just representing the burger, but there, there's something bigger at work as as well. So, um, wow, what a cool part of your work. Number 10, we're going to cheat and we're going to do, you have um, a section at the end of oh. sides. Yes, And you wanted to talk about hamburger stuffing, which I think is something kind of special to you. So break this down for us.
0: Specifically, cheeseburger stuffing. <laughs> I'm very, very proud of this recipe. This is a recipe that I, I made up on my own. Uh, well, they're all made, a lot of them up my own. But this was one that I'm very proud of because I, I surprised my family at Thanksgiving one year and made this. I didn't really tell anybody. People were scooping into this. you know this this uh, Some people call it dre- If you're in the South, it's called dressing. If you're in the North, it's called stuffing literally the stuff that, you know, you, you eat with th- uh, Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving dinner. We n- normally have a bunch of different stuffings. someone has a problem. They don't, they don't want giblets. So we have a non giblet stuffing. We have a, you know, everyone's, we have a, um, we have a uh, Southern dressing, which is very important. It's, it's um, has clams in it. So we have a clam. like an I'm oh, sorry, oyster, oyster dressing it's called, which is basically stuffing with oysters in it, but very, made very specifically. I introduced this cheeseburger stuffing once. Didn't tell anybody what it was. But everyone was like, "What? This is amazing! What is this?" So basically, what I did was i I thought, I thought about the stuffing recipe, and it's basically a, it's a deconstructed cheeseburger, um, a hamburger, uh, with with uh, very specific spices. What I like to call the um, the uh, Simon and Garfunkel, the <laughs> you know, parsley, sage, rosemary, and thyme.
1: <laughs> you know, is that literally we're,
0: it? Yeah, really. That's it. I mean, that's really. Parsley, sage, rosemary, rosemary, and thyme is the is the, what the flavor profile of any Thanksgiving stuffing, and it's also you know of course you know are you going to Scarborough affair? Is the... <laughs> so, so we do call the they give it the full it's called the full Simon and Garfunkel. You do that to your to your broken down elements of basically you know you've got what what is what is the uh, stuffing but bread crumb bread uh, you know bread cubes dried bread cube cubes. We I take in the recipe I basically take a hamburger buns and chop them into cubes and dry them out. Uh, the, the meat portion, which would normally be sausage, uh, in a in a in a uh, in a dressing or a stuffing. In this case, I'm obviously using ground beef. Um, the flavor profile, the butter—it's all there. It's a lot of butter in um, in stuffing, and then you end up with this thing. That it's basically—it tastes like Thanksgiving stuffing because of the parsley, sage, rosemary, and thyme.
1: <laughs> that so was it a hit? I mean, did everybody love it?
0: Oh, we, I, so so the I did it one year, and then a bunch of my <laughs> my nieces and nephews. Uh, said, oh, please tell me, Uncle George, you're bringing back that cheeseburger stuffing.
1: (laughs) And you better have done so. The nieces and nephews asked for it. You
0: got to do it. Double portion. Uh, They were very happy.
1: George, I'm blown away by this book. um, Any of our listeners, it's the Great American Burger book. It's an expanded and updated edition. If by any chance you have the first edition, there's a lot of new stuff in this. It is absolutely worth getting. Um, we're going to come back in a second and wrap up the show with George. But before we do so, we have a sponsored message from our friends at RV SnapPad. Meet the world's only permanent jackpad. RV SnapPads attach permanently to your RV leveling jack so you don't have to carry around blocks of wood or plastic blocks to level your towable or motorized RV. Simply snap them on one at a time and you're all set. RV Snap Pads go on in seconds and provide a lifetime of stability on the road. They are built for wanderers, adventurers, and vacationers just like you. SnapPad also now makes non-permanent leveling accessories for plastic levelers and buckets. They make everything you need to have the best leveling experience possible in your RV. We added RV SnapPads to our travel trailer two years ago and love their durability, design, and functionality. They also make setting up and breaking down camp faster and easier. Finally, SnapPad recently collaborated with Camco Manufacturing to release the most durable, rugged, and stable scissor jack stabilizer available today. Head over to rvsnappad.com and use their Submit Your Rig tool to answer a few quick questions, and they will find you the perfect set of SnapPads for your towable or motorized RV. Join the RV SnapPad revolution today. To find out more, visit rvsnappad.com. Welcome back to the show, everybody. We are wrapping up a terrific episode with George Moats uh, talking about uh, amazing burgers from the Great American Burger Book. Uh, George, you also have some, you know, RVing in your background here. You've done some pretty cool RV trips. Can you tell us a little bit about those?
0: I, I don't own an RV, but I do. I love to go RVing. There's no question about it, and I've been doing it for many, many years. I mean, I've been renting renting RVs. Uh, for about thirty years now, and there 's a lot of great places to rent r v which is fantastic it 's gotten much better too by the way <clears throat> in the old days it was very difficult to find you know there were only one or two choices um and a lot of them were local you locally you could find the r v rental but now there 's so many choices out there it 's amazing and there are also different sizes you can rent uh, there are more sizes and, and there', are, there are more um uh more places to put an r v now, which i feel like it 's great it's, like it 's really become a, a great it 's become an easy thing to do in a way and so over the pandemic uh, the first year of the pandemic we um i rented an rv and circumnavigated um the i circumnavigated lake michigan that was 1000 miles and it went through a bunch of states went all the way up through michigan through the uh, upper peninsula of michigan and then back down through wisconsin uh and back to illinois and and dropped it off again in michigan and had a great time and my my children and i were and my girlfriend were able to you know do things like we we i made them i made them touch uh three lake three great lakes at this on the same day <laughs> i made them put their hand in three lakes on the same day which is something you you know you don't think about but we did that we did that it was a lot of fun to do we ate so much great food food you could only get if you you know get on the road and get out there and eat these things in faraway places so it was a wonderful trip
1: now when you're on a trip like that are you i mean are you hitting up places too just for for you know, content, work, research, or are you, are you taking a little break from the, uh, you know, the burger thing?
0: My family would love me to take a break, but I, it's the mom was impossible. It's, it's in me. You know, so we did eat a lot of burgers on that trip, but, you know, I do, I always travel with, I travel with, <laughs> as everyone would like to say, George, you travel with way too much crap. I travel with so much stuff. But the nice thing about an RV is that RV can hold all that stuff. And I, the, the the lower hold was full of grilling equipment and skillets and all kinds of crazy stuff. And what I wanted to do was I made sure that I made uh, every single dinner we made outside at, a, at, a, at an RV, um, RV site. Um, I brought all kinds of grilling grates. I bought grilling grates to put over, you know, flat. Oh, I think I did everything on a flat sort of was, I did everything over a, the RV, over, over like a campsite fire with a grill grate. Um, and it was fantastic. It was so much fun to be able to do that.
1: Well, it's a huge for RVers, you know, uh, the food is a huge part of the experience because you can kind of bring your camp kitchen with you and you can uh, really make that a pleasurable part of the experience. And we have so many foodies in our audience, so I love having you on the show. Uh, George, you've created an amazing amount of of great content. Can you just point us into a a few different directions if people want to watch some of these shows? Like, where are they streaming? Where can they watch? Where can they follow you on social? There, there's a universe of content around uh, all the stuff that you do and it's all excellent. So, so tell us where to go next to follow you. A
0: lot of stuff out there. A good place to start is uh, my website, georgemost.com that, that has a that sort of portal to everything that's going on, the books, the TV stuff, all that kind of stuff. That's probably a great place to start. Uh, but also there's, I'm on, I'm on uh, first be feast, uh, first beef feast. If you go to YouTube and, and search for first be feast, or even my name, all of our content is on there. I've been involved with the burger show for a number of years. And the burger show spun off Burger Scholar Sessions. So all of those episodes, I think there's over 80 episodes uh, of Burger Show and Burger Scholar Sessions and other like offshoots we've done from from First We Feast Burger Show. There's also I have my own YouTube channel, (laughs) uh, which is not that. I mean, I think it's got good stuff on it, but it's not very robust. I apologize. But there is there are some recipes on this, mostly recipes and content um, that I make personally and myself. Uh, But most of the stuff goes towards First We Feast. Um, I just also signed a contract for my next book. So we're making, remaking Hamburger America that's happening. And I'm opening a restaurant in uh, August. So.
1: You are a busy guy. I'm so impressed by all the amazing content. I really appreciate you coming back on the show. This is George's second appearance on the RV Atlas. I'm going to link in the show notes to that first appearance. And everyone has got to pick up a copy of The Great American Burger Book. It's an expanded and updated edition with lots of new content in it. It's actually, it's a beautiful book. Uh, All kinds of tips in there for process, for the tools of the trade, for hamburger architecture. And then, of course, all of these amazing burgers, which are such a a part of uh, American culture and American history. Uh, And then the recipes, too. So it's is—it's kind of two books in one to me, and I, I absolutely adore it. Uh, I put it up there with something like Jane and Michael Stern's uh, Road Food as as an American classic that will be there will be edition after edition of of this book. So thank you so much, George, for coming on the show. And thank you. You know, your 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 passion has inspired so many other people. And I'm hoping that this summer at the campground that everybody gets a copy of this and dives in and tries to make some of these burgers. So thank you so much, George.
0: My pleasure. Thanks for having me on again.
1: Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the RV Atlas.
2: To find out more about the topics discussed on this show, head on over to the rvatlas.com.
1: And to join the friendliest group of RVers, head on over to the RV Atlas group on Facebook and make sure to join us on YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram at the RV Atlas.
2: If you enjoy our show, please consider leaving us a review over on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen.
1: And we will see you at the campground.
2: See you at the campground.